God. Amen. Let's all stand. I believe God has great and mighty things in store for each and every one of us here today. If we'll receive it. If we'll believe it. Amen. But it's an active kind of faith that needs to be demonstrated. Uh, the Lord isn't just going to let us sit back and, and just absorb all of the blessings and benefits. I mean, this is, this is a relationship, right? This is, this is a two-way street. We're partnering with Him. And so, He desires to bless. He desires to minister. But we have responsibilities as well uh, to, to seek and to ask and to knock and to, to enter into His presence and to worship Him and to lift Him up and to thank Him for the great and mighty things that He is doing and desires to do in us and through us. Amen. So let's go to Him in prayer this morning. Let's believe Him for great and mighty things. Lord Jesus, You're an awesome God. You're a wondrous, glorious Savior. We heap glory and honor unto the Most High God. We worship and we praise You. We laud and we magnify You. Thank You, Lord Jesus, for Your so great faithfulness to us, to the Word of God, the promises that You've given us. Hallelujah, Jesus. We're expecting awesome things of an awesome God today. You are high and lifted up. Your train fills the temple. You've never known failure. You've never known defeat. You are a God of victory, a God of success, and we are Your children. Your people here today exalt You and magnify You and heap glory and honor unto You. As one body, we enter into Your presence. We worship You. As one body, we bind together, lifting up the name of Jesus Christ, expecting great and mighty things of You. We're believing in You for awesome things. We're believing in You to, to get our needs met. Hallelujah, Jesus, for salvation, for healing, for restoration, for provision, for deliverance, whatever the need is here today. We believe in You. We trust in You. Our hope and our faith and our confidence. Our confidence is in the Lord our God today to do awesome things, to do miraculous things. Lord Jesus, I ask that You would do a new thing in this place today. A thing not seen heretofore. I pray, Lord, in Jesus' name, open our eyes of faith today. Help us to believe You for greater things, for awesome things, for miraculous things. Lord Jesus, even that You would use us in the process. Even, Lord Jesus, that You would work in and through us these mighty acts. Hallelujah, Jesus. And we'll be gracious to delight in You, to worship and to praise You. Hallelujah, Jesus. We will magnify the name of our Lord God in this place. Thank You, Jesus. Thank You, Jesus, because only You deserve all worship. Only You deserve praise and to receive all glory and all honor. Thank You, Jesus, for all that will happen here today because of You. Lord, that Your, name, your will would be manifest here that Your name would be glorified in our midst. And all these things we ask in Jesus' name. Hallelujah, Jesus. Amen, amen. God bless you. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. Our youth can be dismissed at this time. Amen. What an awesome God we serve. Praise God. He is so good to us. Amen. By way of review, last week we mentioned... Uh, that according to Jesus, uh, we need to be salt, we need to be light, we need to be a city on a hill. Amen. Uh, as salt, we are to be a preservative. We are to preserve the truth of God's Word, making sure that people don't add to or take away from the Word of truth. Amen. That it is interpreted correctly, that it is taught properly, that it is used properly. We are also to preserve morality and godliness, to retard the spread of corruption and moral decay in our society. Amen. I truly believe that we're not as bad as we should be because of the presence of the people of God in this world. We are not only to preserve, though, we are to influence the surrounding environment. We are to enhance the flavor of everything that we touch, as it were. We are to influence our environment for Jesus Christ. The environment is not to influence us. When you put salt on a hamburger, you don't think that the, 
the salt now tastes hamburgery. The hamburger is now a little bit more salty, right? That's how it works. We are to influence our environment, not the other way around. As a city on a hill, we are to be a solid landmark, someone that people can reorient themselves to when they find themselves lost. Amen. We also need to be visible on a hill, available to anyone that would have a need. And they need to know that we can meet that need, or that God at least can meet their need through us. Amen. We are to be a witness for Jesus Christ. We talked about the witness of evangelism, lifestyle evangelism, sharing our testimony, what God has done for us. Uh, The witness of separation, understanding that we are separate from the world. We are in it, but not of it. Amen. We are different. We are set apart. We are sanctified. And that difference causes us to be noticed. And that's a good thing. It may not seem like it always in the moment. Uh, But that is a good thing when people recognize that we are set apart for the Lord Jesus Christ. We also talked about the witness of incarnation, that we are partnering with Jesus, that uh, signs and wonders and miracles should follow the child of God. That's biblical, that's scriptural. Uh, I'm not saying it it happens all the time, every time you open your mouth. uh, Angels are going to start flying around and all of that. That's not what I'm saying, but, but... These things should accompany the preaching of the Word. These things should accompany our testimony. Amen. And more and more, I'm hoping that you, me, all of us, will start to pray for that and to expect that and to to look for that to happen. The daily devotions. The devotions opened up by trying to establish a little bit the idea of the disciple in the first century era. Uh, The idea of discipleship was seen in the idea of rabbis or teachers having followers around them. We see that in Jesus with his disciples. We see that in the Old Testament uh, with uh, Elijah and Elisha. Although the successful creation of a disciple usually ends with the mentor telling the disciple to go, The beginning of discipleship often starts with the command to leave. Disciples must leave behind their old lives in order to accept their new calling. We see that in the life of Elisha. He left his oxen and field to follow Elijah. We see that in the life of the disciples. They left boats and nets, jobs, families and friends to follow Jesus. We need to leave some things behind if we are to follow Jesus. Amen. We cannot continue to live the way we lived. We cannot continue to to keep hold of those things that we once valued and once highly admired and respected because, frankly, as followers of Jesus Christ, we shouldn't admire them. We shouldn't want to hold on to some of those things that we used to hold on to. Amen. We need to let them go. And a lot of us here have. We've let a lot of things go. Uh... Our old lives, uh, some of us have left family members, some of us have left friends, amen, to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. The mentor should inspire the disciples to do greater things. We see in the life of Elijah, I'm sorry, Elisha, that he prayed for a double portion of Elijah's spirit. And we see that manifest as as he continued on with his ministry. Jesus told His disciples in John 14:12, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on Me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto My Father. Amen. The mentor should not be threatened by the, the, the disciple. In fact, he should be highly encouraged. She should be highly encouraged if the disciple goes on to do greater things than the mentor ever could. That's a good thing, folks. That's awesome. The kingdom of God is being built. Isn't that the goal? That's what we want. And if they can do more than we can, man, the kingdom of God is being built bigger and faster because of it. There's nothing but good there. Amen. Uh, Day one, salt represents permanence. Leviticus 2.13 speaks of seasoning all offerings with salt. Numbers 18.19 states that the priesthood would receive a perpetual share of the offerings as a covenant of salt. 
Second Chronicles 13.5 describes the promise of a Davidic descendant ruling over the kingdom as a covenant of salt. And we understand what a covenant is. It's a permanent binding... Well, it's more than a contract, but it is a contract. Uh, but it's permanent until death. Salt represents permanence. The right amount of salt possesses curative properties. We can bring healing and life to a world poisoned by sin. Day two. Cities were not normally built on naturally occurring hills. People would build the cities in the same areas because those areas were good for agriculture. They were good for growing crops, uh, livestock, etc. Had plenty of fresh water. So they would continue to build on those. They would build on top of the mounds of the previous city's ruins. Eventually, that would become a mound, which was called a tell, which I found fascinating, like Tel Aviv. That was interesting. Jesus would raise up believers from past destruction to shine His lights in a dark world. Amen. What an excellent analogy there. One of your greatest testimonies is your story of transformation. Amen. Don't be afraid to share that with everyone, how God changed you and transformed you. You're not who you were. Amen. Day three. When there is a single source of light, illumination, understanding, and revelation will follow. You're in a pitch black room. It doesn't take a whole lot of light to illuminate a lot of things. That light source is located within you. We are in a desperately dark world. An ignorant world. But they think they have all understanding, all wisdom, all knowledge. Scientifically advanced. AI. But they don't know that they're miserable and wretched and poor and blind and naked. Day four. One of the most important questions we can answer in our lives is who has the authority? And that is such an important question to answer. That right there deserves a, a whole lesson. But that's, that's the problem with people today. They give the authority to the wrong person or the wrong group of people. That's really the, the question that, that everyone is seeking to answer. Uh, and that's what the Christian is trying to tell people. Serve Jesus, because He has the authority. Jesus Christ has all authority. Serve Him. But people don't want to recognize His authority. And when you don't recognize the authority of God in your life, what's left? Someone is, someone is going to have the authority. You're going to give the authority to someone or something. Whether it be yourself, the government... Your family, your job, money, whatever it might be. Someone is going to tell you how to live your life. We have decided, I'm trusting, that Jesus Christ gets to tell me how to live my life. He gets to tell me what's right and what's wrong, what's good and what's evil. I don't get to decide that for myself. I don't. Jesus tells me what's right and what's wrong. I may think I know what's right and wrong, but I don't. I have my opinions. I have my ideas. And in a moment of extreme emotional duress, that gets all twisted up. Someone came into my house and shot up my family. How would I respond to that? Well, the typical response would be, I want vengeance. I, but I'm calling it justice. I want justice. Well, what's justice, folks? And who do I want justice for? Tell you who I don't want justice for is me. I don't want justice for all the things I've done. I just want justice for what this guy has done. So now I got a double standard. I have a what people would call a cognitive dissonance. 
They don't mess. They don't comport. There's a contradiction there. But I'm okay with that. I just ignore it. Because I have an authority outside of the authority of God. I'm deciding for myself what's right and wrong. He's wrong and I'm right. And it doesn't work that way, folks. That doesn't work. It's contradictory. Only when I give the authority to Jesus Christ are there no contradictions. He has the ultimate authority. Give it to Him. Never prejudge anyone. Never underestimate the power of your witness. Amen. The most awful looking guy or girl can be the greatest servant of Jesus Christ that's ever lived. I just I think of the Apostle Paul. Oh my word. Nobody wanted to touch him with the twenty two and a half foot pole. Poor Ananias, he got the short straw. And he's like, I don't want it. I want nothing to do with this guy. Do you know who this guy is? He's killing your people. But how did he turn out? He turned out pretty good, didn't he? If we would have prejudged Saul, we'd have never touched him. God, God judged that guy. Get him out of our lives. Day five. Apparently there's a hashtag on Twitter, Rapture Anxiety. I get it. I, I understand it. But, folks, they're wrong. Why would you be anxious about, why would you be worried or, or fearful about the rapture? That's what we're looking for. That's my ticket home. Punch that ticket. Get me out of here. I'm going to stay as long as Jesus wants me to stay, and I'm going to, I'm going to try to be as industrious as I can for the Lord Jesus Christ, but when it's my time to go, man, I'm not fighting that. That's what I'm living for. People are anxious about the rapture because they know in their heart of hearts they're not ready. They know it's coming. But they're not ready. Those that are ready, we're not anxious. We're not fearful. There's nothing down here that I need to do yet that that I'm saying, Lord, just keep me down here a little while longer. I still want to do this and that and the other. Maybe I'm old enough now I've done everything I want to do. I don't know. But, But I'm ready to go. I'm looking forward to it. Our lesson today, our scripture text is going to be Matthew chapter 6. It'll be a long reading, but please bear with me. Uh, Verses 1 through 18. Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 18. And again, we're, we're continuing to talk about discipleship. And we're looking at the Sermon on the Mount, different aspects of the Sermon on the Mount, to discover these different aspects of discipleship. Jesus would have been, in my mind, the best mentor anyone could have. Can you imagine being discipled by Jesus Christ? Man, that would have been pretty cool. Anyway, Matthew chapter 6, starting with verse 1. Take heed that ye do not your alms before men to be seen of them, otherwise ye have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues, and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But when thou doest thine alms, I'm sorry, but when thou doest alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth, that thine alms may be in secret. And thy father which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly. And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. But when ye pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. After this manner, therefore, pray ye, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, 
Thy will be done as it is in heaven. Give it. I'm sorry. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Moreover, when ye fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces, that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou fastest, anoint thine head, and wash thy face, that thou appear not unto men to fast, but unto thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. Amen. A bivocational pastor was working for a small local health clinic. Since he was in a remote area, I'm glad they didn't say uh, bun and bread factory. Since he was in a remote area, good-paying jobs were scarce. The pastor felt blessed to have a job that could support his family and allow him the flexibility to still pastor his church. However, despite enjoying the work and being well-paid, the pastor had one major problem. His supervisor at the clinic was not overly kind, and that is saying it kindly. The supervisor frequently overburdened her employees by passing off her own work to them, and she had no problem harshly berating her subordinates publicly. Everybody know that's inappropriate, right? Yeah. Her language was foul, and her demeanor was arrogant. Many workers complained to human resources and upper management, but their efforts were in vain. The pastor believed that prayer changes things. You'll see why I'm laughing later. So he took this matter to the Lord in prayer. Months passed, as, and his supervisor had not changed. In fact, she had gotten worse. The pastor committed to prayer even more, yet still nothing seemed to change. After nearly a year, the health care company offered to send several employees to a training seminar in another state for one week. The topic of the conference was working with difficult people. Intrigued, the pastor volunteered to go. However, after a week at the conference, the pastor was discouraged. He had taken exhaustive notes, but felt as though nothing could help his situation. On the last day of the conference, he approached the main speaker and relayed his situation. I don't know what to do, he bemoaned. I've tried everything. The conference speaker offered an unexpected suggestion. Have you tried buying her a gift and writing her a nice card? The pastor was shocked. Why would I do that? He asked incredulously. The speaker replied, It sounds like she's stressed. She works in a remote area and is the only one within a hundred miles who can do her job. Perhaps if you work hard to treat her kindly, she'll realize the error of her ways and treat you all differently. The next week, the pastor convinced the entire staff, office staff to chip in and buy their supervisor a card, a bouquet of flowers, and a gift certificate to her favorite restaurant. Within a month, the entire office noticed a drastic change in the supervisor. She spoke softer and was more patient and sensitive to her employees' needs. In the end, the pastor was right that prayer did change things. But before God changed the supervisor's heart, God first had to change the pastor's own heart. Mm-mm-mm. And don't you hate that? Wow. <laughs> Amen. During the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus was contrasting how the hypocrites behaved with how he expected his followers to live. Not only performing the particular spiritual discipline he was talking about was important, and it was. We do need to pray. We do need to fast. We do need to give. Amen. We all understand that. But, Jesus is saying we need to go beyond just the physical act of, of completing the task and start looking at why are you completing the task? What is your motivation behind doing this? Jesus is saying that's equally important. Understanding why we're doing these things. Jesus never overtly told His disciples that they need to give, that they need to pray, they need to fast. He, it's assumed that they're already doing these things. 
He never gives any instruction as to how to do it other than the Lord's Prayer. Again, he assumes that they've already been doing these things. That's not the problem. That's not the issue Jesus is trying to to, uh, approach here. But it's the motive behind it. Again, our obedience to Jesus Christ involves the entire person. It involves all of us. Not just, the, not just the body. Well, I did what you told me to do. Yeah, but you can do it for the wrong reasons, can't you? And you're still wrong. We are to present our bodies a living sacrifice, we read in Romans 12.1. We are to bring in captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. 2 Corinthians 10.5 Before we came to the Lord, we were spiritually dead. Jesus resurrected us spiritually. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says we're new creatures in Him. All things are made new. Romans 8.10 says, And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Our Christian walk, our Christian experience touches every aspect of who we are. Not just one part of us, but all of us. Living for God requires all of us. Every part of us needs to be submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. That includes my motives. That includes my heart. That includes my thoughts. Amen. All of me is submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. He talks about giving. Now, Jesus is referring to more than simply giving our money. We start talking about giving. That's what everybody typically jumps to. You want my money. I don't want your money. I don't need your money. God doesn't need your money. You're the one that needs to give. I need to give for my sake. I like to be a blessing to the church. I like to be a blessing to the kingdom of God. Absolutely. And that is God's stewardship plan for the body of Christ, for sure. But, if I think that I'm going to get back at God by withholding my finances from Him, i got another thing coming. The finances are going to be provided the body from somewhere else. Because Jesus is our provider, right? Amen. So I need to give for my sake. If I want to be blessed of God, I need to give. I don't have to give. But if I don't, the devourer comes. I hate the devourer. I've lived with him for a long time. I don't like him. I give. I don't like the devourer. But what's my motivation for giving? Why do I give? My money. Some people's motivation is because I want to be blessed. I see all these promises in the Word of God. Pressed down, shaken together. God is no man's debtor. If I give a little bit, He gives above and beyond. That's what I'm looking for. So I just give this, I'm expecting a windfall. There are some people that give for that reason. Is that the proper motivation? Absolutely not. Yeah, you can be a blessing. I can give to the poor. I can give to the needy. Put it on YouTube. I don't know how many people I see do that. I see it on YouTube all the time. Giving away... $100,000 to the homeless. Film the whole thing. Get a million plus views. They're making back a whole lot more than they're giving. Is that the reason we give? I hope not. It should be because I love God. I'm seeking to please Him. I've submitted myself to Him and I want to do those things that please Him. If it pleased him to keep my my money, I would do that. 
But that doesn't please him. It pleases him for me to give my money freely. But not just my money either. My time. Which in our society today is more valuable than money. For a lot of people. Most people have questioned. I've seen polls on this. They'd rather have a day off unpaid than a bonus. Why is that? Because no one has time. But Jesus is asking for some of my time too. I should be paying tithes and offerings as it were on that. Hasn't God blessed me with time? He has. 168 hours a week, I think it is. Just like everyone else. How I use that 168 hours and why I'm using the 168 hours the way I am, that's a reflection on me, on who I am. I want to do that to please God. My talents. I use my talents, such as they are, in service to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if I'm a great singer... Could I make a living at that and serve Jesus Christ? I don't see any problem with that. I would give some caution, some some warnings there. It's really easy to slip off the deep end there. A A lot of them have. But, as long as your motivations are right and your priorities are right, I don't see any problem with that. If you're smart and you can be a doctor, go be a doctor. But keep your priorities right. The doctors have 168 hours a week too. If I'm a doctor but I'm missing a bunch of church and I can't do anything for what God wants me to do because I'm at work all the time, I should probably reevaluate that. Find another job in the, you know, whatever. but not just doctors. It could be drywallers. Drywallers can be just as busy, make themselves just as busy. Whatever it is we're doing, we need to keep our priorities right, our motivations right. Why are we doing what we do? Why am I spending the money the way I do, my time? Because I love Jesus. That should be the motivation. And when that's the motivation, folks, the blessing is assured. Now, not that we're looking for the blessing. Our blessing is knowing that we are pleasing Jesus. Service is its own reward, folks. When you have that attitude, my reward is knowing that Jesus is pleased by what I'm doing. My reward is I know that Jesus derives pleasure from looking on me and seeing me do these things. That's all the reward we should need. But that's, that's not all the reward we get. Because God is so good to us. Jesus means practicing our righteousness before others. The practice of giving alms was traditionally associated with charitable donations to the poor and needy. Uh, okay, I'm getting ahead of myself again. Uh, People can't genuinely help out the poor, the less fortunate, by giving for any motivation. Uh, They're still getting the money. They're still getting the help they need. But, again, the motivation is important. It's important for us and for our relationship with God. Jesus said that they have their reward. What reward were they seeking? Yeah. Yeah. The praise of the crowd. Oh, look at that guy. He's so spiritual. He is so in tune with God. That's their reward. They got it. I tell you what, folks, I learned this a long time ago. And it's never been wrong. The crowd is a fickle thing. It's a very fickle thing. Good luck keeping it up. Good luck 
pleasing the crowd and maintaining that. You won't do it. Why were they seeking the pleasure of the crowd? Why were they seeking the approval of man? In my mind, it's because they did not value the approval of God. They valued the approval of man more. They did not care about or seek God's approval because they did not value it. What do we value most in our lives? And do our actions and choices reflect that? The old saying, talk is cheap. hear what you're saying, but then I see what you're doing. The joke that parents always say is, do as I say, not as I do. I hope it's a joke (laughs) and not for real. People are going to do what we do. That's the witness. The importance of giving. God's stewardship plan for His church is that His people give. Amen. And as you give liberally to the work of God, God gives liberally to you. That's scriptural. That's biblical. I have no problem preaching or teaching that because it's in the Word of God. I practice it. I've practiced it since I received the Holy Ghost. And it's true. God blesses when you give liberally, when you give joyfully. Many kinds of giving are mentioned. Uh, Malachi 3, 8-12 talks about giving our tithes and offerings. Acts 3 and 2 talks about giving to the poor who sat in public places and begged for alms. Uh, in Acts 2 and in Acts 4, <laughs> many believers sold their possessions and gave gifts to the church to benefit the entire church body. I've never seen that. Uh, I don't really expect to ever see that. I don't think that's I think that's something that they tried and socialism looks really good on paper. Communism looks great on paper, uh, but it it always fails in practice, and that's because of people. When you put people in there, uh, it always fails because you always get people who are going to get something for nothing. If everybody would do work, yeah, I mean, that, that, would, that would work. That would be great. If everybody would do their share of the work and everybody receive an equal reward, that would be perfect. But people don't do that. You're going to have people working harder and other people not working at all. So, uh, <clears throat> in any case... Church leaders also receive a special offering for famine relief in Judea in Acts chapter 11. Special offerings given for this, that, and the other need. Amen. We cannot be apostolic and stingy at the same time. To put it another way, I've got to have a salvation big enough to reach my pocketbook too. All the way down there. So we've got to give. And that's an easy lesson to teach in this church because all of you are very liberal in your giving. I say that the Holy Ghost is my witness. You guys are absolutely amazing in your giving. <clears throat> I commend you for that. And I know God God notices, God sees it, and uh, He's blessing accordingly. So, uh, proper motive for giving, obedience to God, our faith and trust in God, our desire to please God. Amen. Uh, if we're seeking a reward from man, I mean, that's, again, I understand why people do that, but it's just wrong all the way around. The fickleness factor, you're never going to maintain it. Uh, at some point, they're going to be upset with you. I don't care what you do. Uh, and that means that their reward that they're giving you is very, very temporary. Very temporary. God's reward, however, is eternal. It's everlasting. The things that God blesses us with, the rewards in heaven, treasure in heaven, we're going to spend that for all eternity. 
Why do we give? Because God has so freely given to us. Freely ye have received, freely give. Does God have to bless us the way He does? Is he, does He somehow owe us something? Is he, He's obligated by His Word. But that was on Him. Before He gave me these promises, He wasn't obligated at all. He doesn't owe me anything. I owe Him everything. I will forever be in His debt. And yet He continues to give liberally to me. And because of that, I should feel an obligation. I should feel a desire, a need to give liberally to others. And that applies in every aspect of my life. Not just money. Love. God freely loved me. He bestowed His love upon me when I was not lovable. And because of that, I can bestow that love on you guys. On them. On anybody. I can even bestow it on myself. Scripturally, biblically. I can love myself the same way Jesus loves me. I can accept myself the same way Jesus has accepted me. And for a lot of people, and for me, that was huge. That was a game changer for me. I can give everything that God has given me. And I'll never, ever run out. I give money. Somehow it just comes back. Honor the Lord through giving. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 and 7 says this, But this I say, He which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give. I wouldn't have spoken very well in 1611. So let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. Amen. Those who give reluctantly or out of a sense of obligation or compulsion will not receive a spiritual blessing for their giving. Amen. Again, it's the motivation that matters here. That's, it, that's what Jesus is looking at. Not necessarily that you're giving, but why? Because I have to. Uh, work on it. And I would also caution you not to give with the hope that God will give back to you. When we give properly, with the proper motivation, God does bless us, but not always financially. He doesn't always fill the, the pocketbook. He may rebuke the devourer. Things just don't break down in our house. Things just don't wear out in our house. It might be something like that. It might be something else. Amen. We can't expect that, but that's not the reason we're doing it. We're doing it cheerfully because God has so generously given to us. Giving is a privilege. It's just like serving. It's an opportunity to bless the kingdom of God, and it's an opportunity to honor Jesus Christ with my actions in my life. Something I can do for Him. It's some way that I can give back to Him. Amen. It's an honor. It's a privilege. Serving the Lord Jesus Christ in whatever capacity. It's a blessing. It's a privilege. It's an honor. Praise God. Praying. Although many people sincerely desire to pray, many are not sure where or how to begin. I know when I first came to the Lord, uh, actually even before that, I was praying the Lord's Prayer. And I knew that I was supposed to there was supposed to be some kind of meaning or feeling to it. I didn't learn that from the Lutheran church. Uh, God must have revealed it to me somewhere. So I would pray the Lord's Prayer and I would think about the words and I would, I would try to assign meaning to them. But that's all I knew how to pray. I didn't know how to do anything else. So when I heard uh, apostolics praying for the first time in the prayer room, I mean, that was, whoo, that was a little different. That was, that was a little bit weird. But it didn't take too long for me to warm up to it. Amen. 
Jesus first addressed underlying motivations behind prayer, helped reveal the purpose of prayer, and then gave us an example of prayer. Amen. And that's, that's really nice to have. Believers just beginning to, to learn how to pray, they have a template straight from the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I don't suggest to people that they pray it verbatim, uh, but they use it as a template. They use it as, uh, they use it as a pattern for their prayers. Go ahead and expound on it in any way you want. Uh, if the Lord leads you in a different direction, uh, just go with it. You know, just explore it. See what happens. Uh, serving Jesus is, is awesome. It's fun. It's exciting. I've always thought so. <clears throat> the importance of prayer. The simplest definition of prayer is communication with God. There are all kinds of uh, things we could go into with prayer, uh, reasons why we pray, but it's at its heart, it's communication with God. For any relationship to thrive, there must be healthy communication. We understand that. Husband and wife, friends, uh, families, you know, whatever it is. People at work. I mean, you've got to communicate with people at work or you don't know what's going on. Well, why didn't you tell me that that was due next week? Uh, sorry. How was I supposed to know? Does that help or hurt a relationship? It hurts, yeah. Communication doesn't mean a monologue. When we're praying, I always encourage people to give God a time to talk to. Give Him a chance to respond. Give Him a chance to, to communicate as well. It's a dialogue. And that seems weird to some people. Do you mean you hear God talking to you? I've got that, I got that a couple times as a new convert, still in the army. God talks to you? Yeah. Yeah, He does. You should try it. It's amazing. How does He talk to us? Well, for a few people, it's actually an audible voice. Uh, I've heard people say that. I've never heard an audible voice. Um, but He does talk to me, for sure. He puts thoughts in my mind. Uh, and those thoughts end up, when I meditate on Him and, and focus on Him, they, they're directed. It's kind of cool. Uh, when I'm reading the Word of God, God speaks to me. When I hear the preaching of the Word, God speaks to me. Amen. Through prayer and by regularly communicating with God, our relationship with Him continues to grow stronger, deeper, and closer. And the more we practice prayer, the more we will become familiar with God's voice. And the better we will be able to discern His will and desire for our lives. And folks, that is so important. That is so important. His voice needs to be a sure sound in our lives. It needs to be a clear sound in our lives. Not mucky, not, not murky, not... Like it's coming through 10 pounds of static. It needs to be crystal clear. And it can be, and it needs to be, and it's God's will that it is crystal clear in our lives. But that comes through practice. That comes through uh, continuing to communicate with God. What's our proper motivation for prayer? As prayer is communication with God, it's an intimate practice. The hypocrites prayed primarily to be seen by others. It was a public performance. They weren't praying to get closer to God. They weren't. I, I don't doubt in my mind that they thought prayer was futile. Except for the people need to see us do it. I don't doubt that in their heart of hearts that was probably the case. And I don't doubt that in some Christians' heart of hearts that's probably the case. I don't actually think this works, but everyone else seems to, so I better, I better make a good show of it. I hope that's not true here. If you're desiring... Be admired by men. Yeah, that fickleness goes both ways. It's easy to do. It's easy to be admired by men. 
at least for a time. Just do some research, figure out what they want. Great big mega churches have been built on that very premise. What are you looking for in a church? Well, that's what we're going to provide. Whatever it is. Tens of thousands of people going to these mega churches. Send out surveys to the communities. What are you looking for in a church? Go through the results. Okay, this is the church we need to be. Is that a good way to build a church? I know. Good Lord in heaven, no. We're serving the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray to touch God's heart. We pray to establish a relationship with God, to commune with Him, to draw closer to Him. That's our motivation. And it doesn't matter who sees me or not. There are some I feel like I need to lay these boilerplates out, so I'm going to do that uh, and then move on. There are cases where certain individuals praying in public is a good thing. Pastor praying in public is an example. Yeah, the, the husband and wife, mother and father praying in a, in a home so the kids can see them praying. Yeah, those are good things. But again, that's not why we're praying, right? We're praying first and foremost because I love God. I want to speak with Him. I want to commune with Him. If you're praying to touch God's heart, you'll receive more than man could ever provide. Seek only to be heard and seen of God. Now, again, having said that, we do have corporate prayer here. We pray before services. Is that bad? No, it's not bad. Again, what's our motivation? We're gathering together as the body of Christ, praying to God, not to be seen of others. Why do we worship? Why do we worship demonstratively? To be seen of others? No, hopefully not. Because it pleases God. We don't ever think of worship being intimate. We think of that always in a corporate setting. But that's intimate. Worship is an intimate act. It's just me and Jesus. I'm worshiping God because He's great and because He's done great things in my life. I'm not worshiping God so you can see me and see how spiritual I am. And neither are you. I can't see you guys anyway because I'm up here. I don't ever look back. It's a distraction. I've always sat up front because... Sitting in back has always been a distraction to me. I just, you guys that can do it, man, that's that's awesome. I I never could. Anyway, uh, so we worship corporately, and that's fine. Praying corporately is fine too. But again, the same reasons, the same motivations. I'm serving Jesus Christ. I'm trying to please Him. Amen. Like giving, prayer should not be compulsory or a drudgery. It's a privilege and an opportunity to bless and honor God. Okay, I better move on. Fasting. (laughs) Everyone's favorite topic. The importance of fasting. The difficulty of doing no. Someone tells you no. You can't do that. Now all of a sudden that's all I want to do. Right? You tell your body no. No food today. Now that's all your body is thinking about. That's all you want. God told Adam and Eve, no, in one area. So now what was their focus? They had the entire planet for crying out loud. All they could think about was that one tree now. uh, There was a story of a a guy sitting in an airplane and the stewardess gave her spiel, the safety stuff and all that. And one of the things she mentioned was... uh, it's a, it's a federal crime to tamper in any way with the smoke detector in the, the lavatories in the back there. And this guy was relating the story, and he said, I hadn't even thought about the smoke detectors in the lavatory. 
I never would have thought about it. But now that's all I can think about. What can I do to that smoke detector? <laughs> How can I mess with that thing? And that's the way we are. You decide to fast, that's the day people are going to bring your favorite treats to work. That's the day someone's going to offer to take you out to eat. My treat. That's the day you can't get food out of your head. Typically, I don't think about it at all. But on a fast day, I can't not think about it. Don't think about food. Don't think about... That doesn't work. However, fasting is very healthy for us physically as well as spiritually. Matthew 4, verses 1-4 through 4 says, Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. When he had fasted forty days and forty nights, he was afterward and hungered. When the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Amen. Job 23.12 says, I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Fasting reminds us that we have a strong relationship with God and that will sustain us even better than food ever could. Jesus said, I have meat to eat that you know not of. My meat is to do the will of Him that sent me. Is that our meat today? Amen. We need to eat. We need to eat to maintain health, strength, etc., Uh, We understand that. But setting aside that legitimate need for a time so that we can draw closer to God, so that we can put our flesh on an old-fashioned altar and allow our spirit to rise up and touch the throne of grace. That's good for a time too. And again, the proper motivation for fasting is not because I have to. Because everyone else is. They declared a fast at church, so now I have to. You may as well not. Just eat. Don't be miserable. Don't make us miserable. Just eat. <coughs> we fast. Isaiah 58, 6. Is this not the fast that I have chosen? To loose the bands of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, and to let the oppressed go free, and that ye break every yoke. <coughs> there are reasons that we fast, and it's not to be heard on high. I'm going to keep fasting until Jesus answers my prayer. You may starve. Don't do that. No, fasting changes me. Fasting brings me in line with what God is wanting to do. In line with His will. That's what fasting does. First and foremost, it affects me. It changes me. Our fasting should, along with every other spiritual discipline, accomplish God's will both in the world around us and inside of us. It should move the kingdom of God forward in some way. We don't pray, we don't give, we don't fast for me. I'm giving so that God will give to me. I'm fasting so that uh, God will answer my prayer. It's not about me. It's not about you. I'm a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. I serve the kingdom of God. Now what does that mean? It means I'm not my own. I don't have an agenda in this. My agenda is is God's agenda. It's God's will. It's the kingdom of God moving forward. That's my agenda. If I have any other agenda, folks, I'm wrong. When I exercise these spiritual disciplines, when I do anything, say anything, think anything for the kingdom of God, it's got to be for His sake. No other reason. My will is not mine anymore. I don't have a will in this. I don't have a stake in this. I don't have an agenda. I only want to see His kingdom move forward. His will accomplished in this world. Fasting helps us empty ourselves of selfish and carnal desires, helps our spirit bring our spirits more in line with what God wants to do in our lives. Amen. And my time is at an end, so we will conclude there and let's all stand.
Jesus, I'm so thankful that in the life of a disciple, you have given us guidelines. You've given us a direction to go. Help us to do that, Lord Jesus, and help us to do it for the right reasons. Help us to exercise ourselves, to discipline ourselves, to pray, to fast, to give, to do all of these things that we're required in Scripture to do. But give us a heart to please you, to serve you, a desire, a passion, a zeal to serve the Lord our Jesus, to serve the Lord our God. I pray, Lord, in Jesus' name, bless the remainder of our service. Let your name be glorified in it. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for your kind attention. Bid back at a quarter till.